Welcome to Kentucky Horsepower, the official podcast of the Kentucky Automobile Dealers Association. Hi, good day, everyone. This is Jason Wilson with the all-new Kentucky Horsepower podcast. Happy to have you with us today and happy to have a guest that is not a stranger to me. I've come to know through the years as a unbelievable resource for us in automotive uh, and tracking all things automotive. Um, and it's Kevin Tynan. Kevin Tynan is with Bloomberg Intelligence. He's the senior automotive analyst. And you might have seen him on the news. He speaks quite a bit to things automotive. And Kevin, thank you for joining us here. Appreciate you taking some time to join us on our podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. And congr congratulations in the new role. Looking thank forward you. to it. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, Kevin and I have spoken through the years while in Virginia. And in fact, just before we started this, we were thinking, boy, it's been about a year <laughs> since we had our last conversation in this sort of format. And not much is going on, obviously. It's been kind of a quiet year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was getting a little bored. Nothing going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, look, I thought it would be great to have Kevin on. And those of you who don't know Kevin, aren't familiar with Kevin, um, he has spoken at the last, I think, three VADA conventions and was due to speak last year. Uh, unfortunately, it was canceled, obviously, like everybody else's was. But uh, Kevin brings a wealth of information. He really analyzes this industry very closely and brings a unique perspective. And the members that heard him in Virginia certainly always appreciated uh, his discussion and the things that he brought to the table. So I figured, Kevin, we'll just jump right into it. What we're seeing in the news all over right now uh, seems to be every other day there's some new manufacturer proclaiming when they're going to make the move to EVs and what year that's going to be and what that looks like. So let's dive into that. I, I don't recall ever time in such a short period of time that we have seen this much discussion on the um, forward movement of EVs. What, what is your take on this? What are you seeing from your perspective? Yeah, really, really interesting topic. And, you know, to your point, it's something that really dominates the conversation among Bloomberg analysts and Bloomberg clients. Um, and, and like you said, you know, there's a lot of talk about it, but what's interesting is that timeline, you know, by 2035, you know, we're still talking right. a decade plus out there. And, and really what it comes down to, Jason, you know, when you look at it, you know, if we're 2%, EV in the U.S. now, that means we're 98% not EV, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and, you know, vehicles are lasting longer, you know, when you look at the existing fleet and the average age around 12 years, you know, those, so 98% yep. of what is sold is going to be on the road. And you're taking some buyers out of the addressable market for a period. And you know, so this is really something that while there is a lot of talk about it, I'd even call it hype at this point. And I'm you know, part of a media company uh, right. in Bloomberg with our news and our TV and our radio. Um, you know, I'm not sure that the actual unit volume is has is anywhere near where the hype is at this point. And it's it's very forward looking. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day where the money is being made is still and I've been pounding the table on this is that shift to truck from car. Yep. We're at record prices. We're at record truck mix. Um, and nobody talks about that. You know, that's where all the profitability is. And I even joke, you know, that that GM and Ford and Stellantis are so profitable on their pickup truck mix that it's made Tesla profitable because they've had to to buy regulatory credits from them. And that's really what's underpinned their their, you know, their uh, their you know, their pre-tax income to this point. Yeah, and that, that is an interesting point. And, and you don't hear a lot about that, obviously, as it relates to Tesla. And 
how they are able to be profitable and do some things. And it's through measures as, as you just spoke of. Um, it is interesting as we look at now, there, there's a couple thoughts that, that I have, I'd be interested to get your take on. So, you know, it, EVs, that has one aspect of an alternative option uh, to power vehicles. And of course, there's hydrogen, um, uh, there's been natural gas. So I guess one of my questions is from your perspective, um, with all this discussion moving forward to EV, is that where we're going to actually land or will it be something different? Not unlike back in the day when it was VHS versus, uh, you know, beta. I mean, are, are we going to see some different iterations of alternative vehicles or is EV where it's going to go? Yeah, it seems like um, obviously that EV has the advantage, right? Because we have plugs everywhere. Right. Um, you know, so the infrastructure build out will probably happen faster. <laughs> you know, the commitment to hydrogen, when you think about like Toyota has talked about hydrogen for years yep. and that it's the better alternative. And when they bring that up, they usually get shouted down, uh, you know, by the EV crowd. Um, but, you know, Toyota is a smart company and they've done a lot of things over a very, right. very long period of time. So, um, you know, they're either very smart or very dumb on this. And, uh, you know, but I think that when you think about the infrastructure and what's in place and what's coming and where the investment is going, you know, it looks like the commitment is to EV. What that means in terms of, you know, unintended consequences for the grid or for right. costs down the road, you know, still remains to be seen, but it just seems like, you know, the easy option is, well, there's electricity everywhere, never mind how we generate it to this point, but um, you know, essentially everybody will plug it in. We can move up our, our percentage of renewables. And, and it really looks like there's such a head start with electrification that that's probably going to be the first thing. Um, but, you know, there is, there is talk and there is belief that the even longer term view, hydrogen may make a, a legitimate play. Sure. And of course, to your point earlier, there's time. I mean, none of this is happening overnight. This is not a tomorrow uh, type of initiative. This is gonna be a very much a long view. Uh, the other thing about EVs, if you think about it, cause you, you also hear the argument uh, from those saying, look, it, it makes up such a small percentage, you know, 1%, 2% type of, as, as the overall market. But if you look back on what's been offered, particularly by the OEMs, um, Americans still love vehicles. They love a look of, of certain vehicles a feel there's an excitement about buying a vehicles and the OEM offerings to date have not exactly been sexy offerings or, or, or market changing offerings. When I think of the bolt, uh, the leaf and no offense to anyone that likes those vehicles or buys those vehicles, but as a whole, it's certainly not in the league of some of the other vehicles that uh, have a little bit more uh, excitement to them. What, what is your take on that? Yeah. And that, you know, that's a whole show in and of itself, Jason, right? So, yeah. and I've been talking about this for a long time, and it even goes back to where we are now with some of the talk of extending EV credits or, or offering more federal tax credit for, for buyers of EVs yeah. or uh, government spending on infrastructure. And really for years, you know, I've been sort of yelling and screaming that, look, you can incentivize the consumer with federal tax credits and you can put a charging station on every corner. But at the end of the day, if General Motors or Ford or anybody except for Tesla, because it doesn't matter to them, right. is losing money on the products that they're selling. They don't want to sell them. And that's why, to your point, and, and you know, I, 
uh, if you call them compliance vehicles, especially around people from General Motors or Ford, right. or, you know, they, they take offense because, you know, these are people on those programs that are committed to them and, and, and rightly so. And they do a fantastic job with them, you know, but at the end of the day, as you walk up that corporate ladder, you're saying, you know, the higher you go, if you're losing 10 to $15,000 per unit, how many do you really want to sell? Right. And, you know, the answer is less than zero. So, yeah, so that's where we are in that the government keeps talking about incentivizing the consumer and it doesn't matter until the manufacturer sees that path to profitability. So, right. and I've written and it would probably never happen because it's actual money out of the pocket. But I say, you know, instead of giving the consumer $10,000, why don't you give the manufacturer $10,000 per unit to get them closer to profitability? Now you'll get a legitimate effort and you'll get products that, they want to build, they want to sell, sure. that people want to buy. But until that point comes, I think you're going to get, you know, this slow walk towards electrification. Now, the government is the wild card. And we've seen, you know, when European governments or the Chinese government gets involved in their region specifically, what the impact will be. The U.S. government really hasn't been that aggressive with penalizing automakers or or forcing the hand of an automaker to build things unprofitably and have to sell them. The, you know, the the emphasis has been on 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 the consumer, right? And right. it doesn't cost them money out of the pocket. It's just some tax revenue that doesn't come in, and we'll make it up somewhere else. But really, the motivation is not as punitive as it would be say in Europe where there's billions and billions of dollars of fines on the table if you don't move in this direction and we just don't have that here right no that, that's a good point and you know as an as an aside from that you think about when all this came to be this discussion really got amped up um no pun intended regarding the electrification side of things uh was when we had a new administration come in it seems to me uh as the new administration was come in and there were t discussions of policies going more green and, and uh, improving those things is when we heard a lot of this uh, really bold predictions and things coming out, would it change the other way or a different party uh, slow this trend or reverse some of this dialogue? What is your take on that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the key thing again is, is, and maybe it's just my finance background is, you know, you just have to follow the money. And if there's money to be made, automakers will yeah. do it. And why I say it doesn't matter to Tesla, because they're really the one company who profitability hasn't mattered, right? The, the company has been valued as the most, you know, the, the most valuable automaker for some time, right? You know, selling 500,000 units in a year and only really being profitable on the regulatory credit sales. And in this past quarter on Bitcoin sale, right. um, you know, but every other automaker still has an eye on the P&L and it matters, right? right. So, um, you know, it, it can change, but I think it'll be motivated by that profitability. And, and, you know, when you look at what the government has done up until this point with giving the consumer federal tax credits, you know, you only have two automakers that have hit the 200,000 unit phase out goal. One is Tesla, obviously, and the other right. is General Motors. And like 80% of the General Motors um, eligible credits went to buyers of the Chevrolet Volt, the plug-in hybrid, not the battery electric Volt. Right. So, so again, to that point, you know, you, you have a company like the former Fiat Chrysler, now Stellantis has sold 50,000 EVs. The CEO came out and said, you know, 
Sergio Marchioni when he was alive, please don't buy this. We lose money on every one. Right. So, right. so you can give 200,000 credits at $10,000 each, but if the manufacturer doesn't have a product or see the path to profitability, they just refrain from building it and selling it. So ultimately, it still comes down to supply, demand, profitability, and how that all works, regardless of what platform you're on, um, which leads me to just sort of another conversation I'd like to get your take on. Dealers have been doing well, obviously. The, there's Sales have been great. Uh, dealers are making grosses again uh, on both new and used, but now we are in the midst of uh, an inventory crunch uh, on both sides uh, due to chips, uh, chip shortages, and then we have uh, used vehicles being driven up. And I read something the other day that in fact, used vehicles before the discussion was just turn, 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 get them on your lot, turn them as quick as you can. Now there's some discussion, well, keep them. <laughs> they may go up in value as, uh, as things move forward uh, the way on, the, on its current trajectory. What are you, what's your take? What are you seeing from an inventory standpoint? Or what are things dealers need to be thinking about over the next several months? Yeah. And I think even going back to you know, early 2020, second quarter of 2020, when production of new vehicles basically stopped and, and yep. now the supply demand balance tipped, um, you know, in the favor of manufacturers, um, you know, and we started to see pricing rise and it really put a fine point on, you know, the value of truck versus car, right? And that a lot of the car nameplates, especially for the domestic manufacturers had already been discontinued, you know, we're sort yeah. of in that process of phasing out. And then when production was interrupted, it was like, well, what's the rush to restart things that are already discontinued and let's focus on, um, you know, on the profitable stuff, which is really the truck side of the business. And, and I think we've talked about it where I said, you know, look, if you're going to dig out of a hole, you're going to use your best shovel. Right. And that's, that's SUVs and pickup trucks. And that's really what's happened. So now, you know, where when we get into 2021 and this chip shortage, first of all, you have manufacturers already on that, you could call it favorable side of the supply and demand balance, right? They were already short on supply. So at the time where it was like, okay, you guys are at full capacity and we can start overproducing and discounting is like, nope, can't, no chips. Right. You know, so so it's kept them on that side of prices continuing to rise. And, and I'm not saying, you know, my conspiracy theory is that the chip shortage isn't as bad as it seems, but right. it could come at a worse time than, you know, already coming out of 2020 where you were sh short supply and you've seen this ramp in average transaction prices and margin per unit. And it's like, hey, we're selling a lot of really good stuff and not a lot of really bad stuff or unprofitable right. stuff. You know, we kind of, we've been trying to do this for decades. Right. And we're finally there. And then what that's doing too, as you see, you know, average transaction prices overall continue to rise because of the mix, that's pushing a lot of that addressable market into the, into the pre-owned segment where they say, well, look, I'll, I'll let depreciation work for me. You know, and then simply supply and demand balance there is going to drive prices higher as well. Um, but, you know, really, and we've talked about this, too, is that dealers, you know, retail was really moving towards the pre-owned segment even before um, COVID-19 and then the pandemic yeah. started because, you know, it's a way to differentiate your product. It's, um, you know, there's not one on every corner and you can kind of, um, you know, if you if you're buying well at wholesale, you know, there's some margin to be made there. And that's, a, right. that's gone away to, to a certain extent, you know, and I talk to, to auction people all the time and the dealers will know this is that, you know, dealers are paying retail at wholesale now. 
Right. And then it's like, well, what do we charge at retail? You know, <laughs> so so the used car market is um, is pretty interesting right now. And I think what it's actually doing is going to start to push people towards private sellers for a little bit of a time in here because can't afford the new vehicle market. The used vehicle market's going higher. Let me just go to somebody who needs to get rid of this thing or doesn't understand the dynamics of the market right now. And that's where you have your opportunity to get something well bought. Yeah, it, it's look <laughs> to say last year was interesting is an understatement. I think we're going to it seems we're going to be continuing this in, in this trend for uh, the foreseeable future as we continue to climb out of the not only the pandemic and but the other challenges that we just discussed and, and, and mentioned. So a lot of change in this industry as a whole, which I would, I'd like to wrap up with one other item as it relates to change and, and maybe a change in direction. Um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion regarding auto shows, the future of auto shows, what that could look like, even prior to this, right? You had some of the OEMs uh, jumping out of some shows, being more in other shows. And this year, this last year has sort of been a pause. There's been a couple of shows, not many, but uh, what is your just opinion? I know you're a car enthusiast, as seen by your background there. <laughs> uh, you know, we've talked before. I know you like, you're, you're a car guy through and through. What is your take on, what the, what that looks like yeah and i would say you know i would look at it almost from the other side that you know some of the some of the commentary on auto shows was from the perspective of automakers pulling out and, and and what's the benefit and i'm saying you know what i think it was from oversaturation you know and if you look about look at even just the detroit show right it gets moved out of january and it's supposed to go later in the year or even in right. the summer and you can use well, that was really because of CES, right? So you have the Consumer Electronics Show in January in Las Vegas. Right. And I remember we would go from CES directly on a plane from Vegas to Detroit. I wouldn't even come home, right? right? So you'd go to Detroit and then you, so you're two weeks on the road and, you know, and with all the automotive stuff that wound up or winds up being at CES, you have automakers saying like, well, okay, now we have to send this whole, you know, this, this whole entourage to Vegas. And then the next week is in Detroit and it's just too much. We're going to pick one or the other. And that's why essentially, in my opinion, why Detroit moved. So it wasn't that people didn't want to go to Detroit or didn't want to go to an auto show. And, and if you think about the number of people that are in Detroit in January, you know, it, it, there was demand. And I think right. there is demand. We go out to, um, to the Woodward Dream Cruise in, in Detroit in, in August. And you can, it's amazing how many people there are. Um, SEMA in Las Vegas at the, yep. at the beginning of November, it's wall to wall people. Um, and, I, I, and I was just saying, I, I went to, uh, there's a, a show in Pennsylvania that I like to go to around sp spring is the kickoff. Couldn't get near the place. I went, I went Friday, no parking, no, I, I basically drove two hours and turned around and came home because there was no, and it was, it was great to see. I mean, there was people right. out there and it was a swap meet and a car corral. So I think there's a legitimate future for, for auto shows. I think what you might see or what, what the organizers need to do is to sort of, um, you know, focus a little bit more narrowly, like, you know, New, New York is sort of unofficially the luxury show and, and Detroit right. is unofficially the domestic manufacturers and California becomes unofficially, you know, the import brands and, and things like that. So um, I, I don't think the auto show is dead by any stretch, at least if you talk or go to 
shows or talk to enthusiasts. I mean, we want to be, I, and actually, actually, Jason, for the past year, that's the part that kills me. Like, I love what I do yep. more than you'd ever know, but sitting <laughs> at a desk writing about cars, even with the background and the guitars everywhere that I have is like, it's not the same as being out and, and meeting with people like you and, and the dealers and seeing cars and sitting in them and driving. And it's, it's just, it's the best part of the job. And I think that will always be the case. Well, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm as someone that's been involved with shows for years. I believe in shows. I've seen the power of shows. There, there's nothing better than seeing people get excited about new things that are coming out. And as we're talking about all these new products coming out, it would seem to me it makes sense now more than ever moving forward to, to do auto shows. Uh, yesterday, I was fortunate enough, uh, one of our local dealers here, uh, uh, Kane Ford, brought over the new EV Mustang and uh, just said, hey, you got to check this out. And uh, I have to tell you, it was impressive. It was fun. I had to do, I was able to do my own little ride and drive. And uh, uh, if that's the future of what EV could look like, I think dealers have reason to be excited about it. And I think shows would be a great place and a great way to showcase that type of product offering. Yeah, I've, I've been fortunate in that while I have been sort of isolated at home, I've been getting you know, test vehicles and I've, and I've had the Mach-E. You have connections, you know people, you can do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and like I said, it's probably the best part of the job now is actually while we're talking, somebody just dropped something off, you know, a new Lexus for me to test. And it's like, I can't wait to run outside and go give it a look, you know, and grab the keys. So, um, so I, I think that enthusiasm, if anything, through this period has been pent up. And I right. think once we're allowed to start moving about, like I'm, my fingers are crossed, I'll go to Woodward Avenue this summer, whether it's officially on or not, just to go and, and you know, see the cars and the people. Um, and I'm, my fingers are crossed for SEMA in, in November. Yep. Uh, and then it just ticked them off as we used to, you know, one after the other. Well, I, I think you're right. Look, pent up demand is the word right now. We, you're going to start, you're starting to see more events. We're uh, Kentucky's having their annual convention this year, uh, as is several other states. That's starting to happen back up again. Which, by the way, would love to have you speak at one of our conventions. Oh, uh, absolutely. Forward. So we'll. Uh, I'm on twenty hour, twenty four hour call when you get it together. Sure. There you go. Well, look, I've uh, appreciate your time today, Kevin. I, I feel like we've discussed some really interesting topics, and as always, you have a keen insight into this type of information, and it's uh, I, I find it to be very beneficial, and I'm sure our members will as well. So. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we'll stay in touch and, and continue these conversations as things percolate and change in the market. And, and uh, again, you're just a great resource for us to be able to tap into. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's always my pleasure. And hopefully we can get together. I give you a big hug. That sounds good. All right, everybody. <laughs> thank you for joining this edition of Kentucky Horsepower. And we'll see you down the road.